so about four months ago, I recorded a podcast re recording with uh, Nicholas Fett, uh, CTO of Teller, a decentralized Oracle protocol. Uh, so now this is July. Uh, obviously, March was a long time ago in crypto terms. Uh, we're clearly in a different market today. However, what hasn't changed is um, our good founders like Nicholas, uh, who are trying to do uh, innovative things in crypto, trying to build um, protocols which are new, uh, different, and more decentralized. Um, so I wanted to uh, just maybe publish this. Um, and uh, as background, Nicholas was actually, um, it's someone that I'm actually great, really grateful for uh, because he published one of the first podcasts about Hummingbot, uh, even before we launched Hummingbot in early 2019. Nicholas has a really interesting background as well. Uh, before Teller, he worked at the Bureau of Labor Statistics as an economist, as an economist. Um, and even today, uh, he still advises um, uh, various lobbies and government-related organizations on what crypto is and also uh, what it isn't. So um, this was a really interesting conversation uh, because we talked about both the market uh, back in March, as well as what Teller is trying to do and what Nicholas, how Nicholas's background as an economist informs the design of Teller. Um, and what he thinks about the future. Start in the middle of the conversation because I don't know, that's, that's the way I like to do it. So we're already going live. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess this is episode two of Michael Fang's experimental uh, podcast with crypto founders. Uh, so I'm really excited to have on, on the show Nick Fett uh, from Teller. Hey, yeah, awesome to be here. Good. Yeah, so um, so this is actually a result of a comment that someone posted on the first one uh, asking us to... Uh, me to bring on Nick. And that's really timely because Nick uh, was actually the person who interviewed me for the first ever podcast about Hummingbot uh, way back in, I think, January 2019. Right, right, Nick? Was uh, it 2019 or 2018? I, I guess 2019. But yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's 2019 because that was that was actually right, actually, right before we were, we didn't even launch Hummingbot. Hummingbot only launched in April of 2019. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's no, super cool. And, yeah, yeah, it was. It was I really just being able to tell you that story about kind of like how we started Hummingbot, you know, how we, you know, did the whole SEC settlement, uh, and and then kind of what led that to what would eventually become Hummingbot uh, was super cool. And I, I'll link to the that episode in the show notes uh, okay. because I think it's still actually on the Daxia podcast. Uh, yeah, because like I found you YouTube. based on the SEC settlement. I guess of the SEC announcement, and I was like, man, that, this is super interesting. Like I'm going to reach out to him, and then you were starting a new thing. And, you came on, yeah. which was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so and and uh, so and, and and I think that you know we've kind of followed each other throughout the the years, and uh, it seems like you know uh, Doxia has you know, turned into uh, what's now Teller, uh, and and now Teller is one of the the leading kind of decentralized Oracle projects in crypto, right? Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, and Hummingbot's up and running still. So it's... yeah, so, so it's been an incredible journey for I think both of us, and I think um, and ultimately the, the goal of this podcast is to really highlight the journeys of crypto founders, um, and you know from an unvarnished, authentic perspective. Uh, you know my motto is no content marketing, uh, so you know I want people to really talk about the journeys and really how the startup works from a technical perspective, uh, not from a biz dev sure. perspective. So um, so that's it. So uh, let's let's get started. Jump in. So, uh, Nick, uh, so I always like to try to, you know, start as early as possible. So maybe Nick, uh, can you tell us about your childhood and what it was like, you know, where you oh, grew man. up and what your childhood was like, I guess. Uh, childhood, geez. Um, 
<laughs> didn't always start that early. Um, so I, I grew up uh, outside of Pittsburgh for a little bit and then moved out to Ohio. Um, grew up, I got three, I have three brothers. I'm the oldest. Nice. Um, well, one of them's a twin, but I'm still older. Um, and then we, uh, yeah, grew up actually, um, I was homeschooled until high school. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and then we were, it was, I sort of grew up in a very evangelical Christian home, uh, evangelical high school. Um, And that was, yeah, it wasn't really like finance or coding, none of that stuff. I mean, I I played video games, but that was, (laughs) that was pretty normal. Um, What did your uh, parents do? Uh, My dad's actually an airline pilot. um, Okay. And then my mom, uh, she is a a horse trainer. So she. A horse trainer. uh, yeah nice. so like uh that's for cool. like dressage so yeah I love. You know. so do you know how to ride a horse then yeah so i was actually i was on the equestrian team in college for a year oh cool um, it was <laughs> yeah. yeah so grew up uh we you know we had a barn attached to our house and, nice um grew up as a kind of homeschooled farm hand for that's <laughs> what it felt yeah. like for most of my life um okay okay so no, that sounds like a really interesting uh childhood actually yeah it was good um i guess uh we and then i left uh after high school i actually i went to west point for two years oh, wow okay so i um i got accepted to the military academy there um yeah that's that interesting was... I, I actually um thought about applying to west point as well actually uh, oh, i yeah. actually did a summer um camp there at one point after my junior year of high school oh, cool. uh just to check it out uh, and I, I decided not to apply but i, I actually really liked like in some ways like you know i, I I thought that it would not be a fun time there, you know, compared to yeah. going to college other places. But I, I did like the structure of it in some ways. Yeah, no, I mean, it was good. Um, like we, like, I, I really didn't know what I was getting into because I, I like left, you know, I was, um, I'd never done anything really military related. I, you know, my grandparents were in the military, but no one right. I actually knew. Um, and then, so I, I went there and it was, it was kind of an eye opening uh venture for me because i i wasn't necessarily as into the military um mm. as i would have liked to have been but i did uh i did two years there obviously did uh, the equestrian team um yeah. didn't necessarily yeah and then sort of while i was there didn't realize i wasn't the biggest fan of kind of following rules in general and uh kind right. of war at the time um yeah, yeah. so it was i so i i left in um I left and then I went to uh, Westchester, which was outside of Philadelphia. So I went to just, a, I left like, it was like a week before. So like after West Point, like the first two years are actually free. So in the military academy, and then you sign right. the papers that say you have to serve the next eight years in the military. And yeah, a yeah. week a week before I had to sign the papers, I chickened out and Okay, uh, got it. Oh, interesting. For, okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so you got two years of free, free college education then? I got, right. yeah, free college education. Um, so that was good. Um, yeah. And then I left and, and did, uh, I went to, it was like, there was like a small state school in uh, Pennsylvania, yeah. which was like, you know, it was like the only school I could get into in August. Mm. Yeah. So the, the, but that must have been a, uh, like, like a tough decision for you at the time. Yeah, it was really tough. Um, you know, it was, it was definitely something, you know, I sort of talked about doing it, but you know, like, you, it, it's similar to like whenever you have like a prestigious job and you leave to do a startup or something yeah. and everyone's like, why are you doing this? Uh, like yeah. you, you're doing just fine. And, um, 
Yeah. But it, it was like that sort of like first taste of disappointing my parents and um, mm. moving on and kind of doing my own thing. And, and it's sort of, um, I'm obviously, I'm still friends with tons of the guys there. Um, mm. So it was, it was definitely a good experience. But yeah, it was kind of leaving. And then it was also good seeing kind of the other side. So I went to this, you know, more traditional state school, you know, mm. they, and I, I was an economics major there. And uh, okay. It was it was an economics program. There were there were eight of us, so it was a school oh, of. Wow. Okay. There was a school. Yeah, it was a program. fifteen thousand person school. Yeah. And there were like eight economics majors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was a tiny little program, but it was it was actually good because it was um, mm-hmm. you, you got a lot of like hands on attention from the teachers, and um, that was like whenever I started really getting into economics. So, um, mm-hmm. I, I got into this was. So like I started there in 2008 um, and it was great time to get into economics at the time. Um, Yeah. yeah, So I I kind of fell headfirst into like the Austrian economic, Austrian economics. Mm -hmm. So um, 2000, like I I just started like picking up and reading everything I could on the topic. So, you know, it started like the Ayn Mm -hmm. Rands and then you go into like the, the Mises, Rothbard, Hayek type stuff. And yeah, really just kind of became almost like my identity. And, you know, so like whatever I, yeah. whatever I like left in, you know, like I started in 2008, it was like the libertarian club on campus. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you could get like five or six libertarians out in 2008. Uh, Cause it, it was all like, you know, it was just Obama fever at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so nobody, you know, we really like, like was, nobody was really uh, following the libertarian movement. Um, mm-hmm. But it was uh, it was a good experience um, for sure. Um, and then in two thousand nine, I got since I was like into the whole, I went down to Mises University, so mm-hmm. like I, I got to go to you know study Austrian economics down at like the official headquarters. And, and I was actually an intern for Peter Schiff uh, that okay. summer. Interesting. Oh, um, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I, Peter Schiff, the 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 Bitcoin, uh, the the anti Bitcoin. Yeah, like it, well, this was obviously pre-Bitcoin, but um, he, right, right, you know, yeah, at the this time, is pre-Bitcoin, like, interesting. Yeah. yeah, this was this was pre-Bitcoin, so he didn't. I I had read, um, so he had a book, and it was all about. Um, he was very anti-Federal Reserve at the time, and mm. his dad actually had a few books that was like anti-income tax, and mm. um, I I wrote to him and was like, oh, you know, can we get an, can I get an internship? And his brother, who was like his head of marketing, or I don't know what his brother did there, but he was, he was like, yeah, like you can come be my intern. So I was Peter Schiff's brother's intern for the summer, um, up in New York. And that was a blast. Um, and that's cool. It, it, yeah. And it was like, you know, you, it, all the guys were, it was a small brokerage. So, yeah. you know, they, they sold, they basically sold foreign stocks to people who yeah. were fearing inflation. Yeah. Um, so so the, the, that, that was like in the, in the middle of the, like the great financial crisis. So, uh, at the time, were you kind of like aware was, of what was going on and kind of like what was happening uh, in, in the markets? Yeah, for sure. Like I had, I had had a bad experience kind of. So whenever I left in like 2008 from West Point, I like hmm. took out some student loans to pay for my college then. And hmm. then this was back, you know, they, they would actually just give you like 20 grand into your bank <laughs> account. And so I was like trying to for day trade loans, it. Right? Yeah. Oh, trying to yeah, day trade yeah. my student loan money. And that... Yeah did not work out as well as I would have hoped. Um, mm. So, um, but then something, he, something, a lot, I'm sure a lot of Robinhood users have learned over the past. Yeah. Don't trade your student loan money. Um, yeah. But um, 
it was good. Uh, and then, yeah, in 2009, I mean, even, you know, like Peter Schiff, like he had correctly sort of predicted the whole financial crisis. And he was saying, you know, like mm. the housing bubble is like he's he was sort of famous even in to the financial crisis because he was calling, you know, he said the Fed's low interest rates are fueling a housing bubble and it's all going to blow up in their face. Yeah. Um, he got that 100 percent right. And then he was like, well, so to protect ourselves, what we're going to have to do is we're going to we should go buy foreign stock. So he had mm. this idea of, you know, there's going to be some bulls in China and um, all these other smaller countries that um, we're actually building things and doing, you know, becoming more capitalist. And uh, he, and then he was also really big on gold at the time and gold and commodities as well. And um, the the problem with this whole thing is he predicted it right, but then it just didn't play out at all. Mm -hmm. Like he said he was going to, you know, this was like, you know, I'm sure ev everybody knows this year, like inflation is really high, but like, yeah. Peter Schiff's been calling for inflation to be really high since 2009. Right, right. And, you know, I see. Yeah. Now, so now we're just getting there. And yeah. So the what's the expression? The, the clock strikes once. Yeah. The, clock, every the clock's always right twice a yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was sort of that thing. So we were, right. you know, whenever right. I was working for him, it, it was that was a really good, you know, like I, I think Austrian economists in a lot of ways like got a lot of things right and hmm. you know some of their models are really helpful but just whenever you don't have any sort of ability to predict timing it, it's hmm. almost useless um hmm. it's because yeah like inflation you know like you you can say with like 100 percent confidence like the dollar will eventually go to zero right. without saying anything about the timing of it it's it's yeah. a useless statement and that that's some of the problems and then they also um they would be like hyper rationalist on a lot of things. I noticed um, a lot of the people there, and, and that was something that, like, over time, I had sort of pushed yeah. me away from the space. Yeah. You know, even like even a lot of the Bitcoin deniers are still. Like, you can come yeah. at Bitcoin yeah. from a if, if you come at it from a very rationalist perspective, it it can be yeah. hard. But um, you know, meme created money and some of these things like it doesn't have to be this purely rational perspective. And um, yeah, e even if yeah anyway that's yeah 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 i mean i'm talking about this more but for me as a student of history i'm always just, i always think about like the long span of like human history almost and what people use as like quote money you know um which started as like you know basically like dowries uh back in the day and now it's transitioned into uh using like you know paper money and and then like you know now it's like after all those now basically now basically essentially every country is running some form of stable coin out there right uh, and, and so it's kind of like the the lines are just getting blurred between everything was currency versus you know spendable <laughs> nfts or other assets which are basically resources as well that people were you know controlling and and i think a lot of the assumptions that you know economists and finance make are it's almost like the way i have this question i, I was i always say which is like uh finance is like a um it's a soft science masquerading as a hard science you know because um you know it's like physics Definitely. there's like real laws that people have discovered and but i think finance is more like psychology where it's like there are these like laws and th there are things like principles that make sense uh, but it's not like hard and fixed natural laws uh that, that that actually do exist in like physics and other like more hard sciences so. yeah no it's exactly right because you know what will happen is you know you'll see people will just make some assumption about money like oh well we we can't print money whenever we want or can only get created in this manner. And then, and then you follow a bunch of assumptions down a rabbit hole that says, and, and therefore our version yeah. of capitalism is the best. And you're like, well, like 
the assumptions wrong, you know, like, well, yeah. or like yeah, COVID garbage, hits garbage, and we garbage, pay, garbage yeah, COVID hits and we pay everybody 1200 bucks and we're like, what happened there? You know, yeah, or like, yeah. you know, the Ukrainian crisis hits and instantly yeah. we print billions of dollars and you're like, wait, like we have trouble with healthcare guys or, or something like that. And it's like, you know, like, why, why aren't we changing the rules up more often? And um, yeah, and yeah. that's really, that that's one of those things that always sort of gets to me. It's just like, you know, you, you have to break down what the assumptions are and most of yeah. the time it's just yeah self-serving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I know. And, and, and for me, I, I think the big transition for me was always like, just kind of like, I think moving from the the finance and the banking world over to the tech world, uh, you know, for me, that happened, started happening like 11 years ago when I, when I came out here. And I feel like, I, feel, I just like, feel like just overall, like basically just a lot of the things that people discover in technology, which is build reusable systems, you know, try to like, you know, have sure. like, yeah, have like these like, protocols and primitives that you can experiment with and have competition for how you do things. Um, it's like, it's almost like that whole, like that whole mindset hasn't really penetrated all of uh, kind of like finance and, and banking where right, right now finance making, I, I see it as like still, there's still a lot of like really large companies uh, and governments making decisions on behalf of like everyone. And it's almost like, Hey, this is how it should work. And everyone just like yep. goes along with it. And no one says, you know, what if we just thought about doing things a different way? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that's my favorite part about DeFi and everything. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's just the innovation here is just yeah. off the charts. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, which yeah. we can get into later, but it's yeah. like, you know, like, I'm like, literally, like, I, I set the inflation rate on a currency I run. Like, right. it's right. like yeah. absurd. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, 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 so that's fun stuff. So, so let's uh, let's finish off your story and yeah, uh, sure. get into the fun part. Uh, so, so after the experience working for, you know, Peter Schiff and kind of going through this, you know, like uh, basically really you know, digging this deep dive into the Austrian School of Economics. Like, how did you, you know, what, what did you do after university, I guess? Yeah, so at first I, I went and I got a, I was an intern for a year at a libertarian think tank in Pennsylvania, um, which was good, but, you know, I didn't make any money there. And that was, and then I left uh, to get a real job and I worked uh, for the government. I, I <laughs> It was like the only job I could get at the time. And uh, I worked as an economist at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, actually. So I was doing um, the employment numbers. So the non-farm payrolls. So, you know, if they say like, oh, you know, $700,000. 700,000 jobs were created last month. That was like my number. So I did, um, I was working as an economist. We did like the seasonal adjustment. We did, uh, so benchmarking. So, you know, like the revisions month by month and things like that. So that's what we worked on. Did you freeze? Did I freeze? Okay, Michael's gonna have to chop this off. We'll see how he does. There you are. Oh, okay. Uh, so, sorry about that. Yeah, my, my Wi-Fi I think just died. Uh, can you hear me now? I can hear you. So we're back. Okay, I think we're back. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is cool that restream actually, you know, didn't terminate the broadcast. Uh, you know, and connected automatically when I connected my Wi-Fi. I was so, trying to fill the blank time for you. Know, it was really good. okay, awesome. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> the, 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 this is um, this time I'm not live streaming, and I'm, I'm going to try to actually edit the video afterwards. So okay, cool. We can, uh, yeah, just smooth that part over. But who knows? Might just leave it in. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll add some color to the uh, to the feature. Um, 
So, so yeah, so I, I think as we were saying, uh, I think you were describing your first job after university. Yeah, so I went to a libertarian think tank. Um, and that was around that time was actually when I first heard of Bitcoin. It was nice and early. Um, mm. This was 2011 period. Um, thanks for being in the libertarian think tank. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, I got involved with uh, the Ron Paul 2012 campaign a little bit. Nice. So, yeah, um, I did some phone bank in there and <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was good. Um, but that was, you know, there were a few people who were mining Bitcoin uh, mm. at the time and, and I got a few Bitcoin and it was, uh, nice. you know, basically back then it was known you couldn't really do much with it. Um, so, so back then, I'm, I'm curious, uh, like, how did you actually get it? Like, what was the format? Like, he, I remember the one guy who was there, he like, told me to go download the, the software, which was yeah. like, it was like the mining software slash wallet, I think at the time. And, yeah. and then you got this thing like an address and he's like, yeah, I'll send you something. And he said, yeah. sent yeah, me yeah, like yeah. two Bitcoin or something, you know, which was yeah. not much yeah. at the time. And um, we, we just chatted and about nice. it. And yeah, it was, that was kind of it. And then I tried my hand a little bit at mining so you could do it like right. the GPU then. Um, so it was, yeah. Um, didn't really think much about it because I, I honestly thought it was still kind of scammy. Um, mm -hmm. But it was, you know, like back then it was, you were talking about it much more in terms of um, this is an anonymous credit card that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people are going to use it because they get rid of, rid of credit card fees. Like that's why you would want to use this. It's going to be cheaper yeah, yeah. and better for everyone to use. And yeah, um, but, yeah, yeah the, 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 what's interesting is that, that was also when I first heard about it, that was also the kind of the premise. It was like, a, you know, anonymous, you know, cash. And, yeah. and, and, and I also thought it was kind of scammy as well. But what's interesting is that I read a poll, I think somewhere where it was like talking about like the different motivations of people buying Bitcoin and it was a polling done over time. And what was interesting that even the, the, dig, the digital thesis, which you know, was I think today the prevalent, you know, kind of use case yeah. for Bitcoin, even back then, that was like 20 to 30% of respondents said that was their primary reason for, for buying Bitcoin. So I think there was this kind of underlying kind of like you know, investor class, quote unquote. Yeah, uh, sure. Was like supporting Bitcoin. Um, but what was no. interesting, I think what I'm saying is more like, if I had heard that thesis, I would be much more interested in buying Bitcoin. But because I had only kind of like was exposed to the, you know, the scammy, you know, anonymous cash, you know, I loved that use, part. Use That's the part I wanted it to work. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe, 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 yeah, it's possible that yeah, because I, I mean, I think I was tainted by having worked for JP Morgan, so so I was, sure. I was still exposed. You know, I was still thinking in terms of the the corporate mindset. Um, no, it was yeah. you know like we were talking you know like in the libertarian circles. It was like you know is this like you could you could theoretically have this unstoppable money. So like it would be like sort of this Hayekian. Co competing currencies world right. where you know you could have a bitcoin or you could have like a litecoin and a feather coin and they could all be competing currencies and they could run about and it would be great because you know yeah. now the federal reserve like they're welcome to compete on their own but we're, we can all yeah. run to a different one and that was like in my mind that was a phenomenal one. yeah you know and, and i think we actually might get there <laughs> right like it's it's still kind of where i'm at with the currency it's like we'll just we got to keep working on getting it actually private, anonymous, and cheap, but right. you know, we're, we're on our way. Um, on our way, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so then I got into there, and then I um, I probably started actively trading in like 2013. Mm. Um, so that was like whenever you could, I, I like sort of learned coding for this. Um, so I was doing SAS at the time in the government, so like, you know, statistical right. software like R and, 
and then I learned Python to start writing cool. trading soft trading bots for like there was like if you remember BTCE um, yeah. and like even even some of those other ones like had early early just API access directly into the exchanges from that's know, right and and it was awesome um, like I was like you can't do this with normal stocks like it was yeah. unheard of and you you could just write little bots to trade cryptocurrencies and. Um, nice. So what, 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 what kind of bots were you building uh, in those early days? Uh, so sometimes cross-exchange arbitrage. So if you connect mm -hmm. to multiple exchanges, sometimes you would do like, you know, trend following. So, you know, either or it, it was either like you did like you know, market making general, like either it's like a trend following yeah. or a mean reversion strategies and you would write them both out and try yeah. and backtest and yeah. figure out which ones might actually work. And um, yep. Yeah, it, it was fun. You know, I was, wasn't very good mm -hmm. at it. I would try and, you know, then I was like taking like the, the machine learning classes on like yeah. trying to apply that stuff, you know, like, yeah. oh, I'll go, you know, somehow I'll go take the Stanford course on machine learning and then make money yeah. on crypto trading. But it, um, yeah, yeah, it's funny you say that because you know, one of the reasons we started Hummingbot is because uh, I think in all of 2017 and 2018, you know, like as we're running our quant hedge fund, um, I met a number of like, individual people who had just were, were doing market maker on their own. You know, so they had either, you know, built a bot themselves and you know, were running yeah. a bot or they just, it was like a side, it was like a, for some, it was a side income thing, but for others, they had really turned it into a full-time job. And so that, that was actually kind of like, we thought that, you know, people needed some tool or framework to help them do that. Uh, and, and because there seemed to be this growing number of like, you know, kind of, you know, individuals out there doing it. Yeah, no, it was like, I, I made, you know, like... 20 to 50 bucks a day for, yeah, yeah. you know, six months. So, but, it was, but, but it feels great. Like it's like, it feels it like free money, right? It's like that, that, that 20 to $50 is much more valuable uh, than, you know, any, anything you do in your spare time. Because I, 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 to me anyway, that I feel that feeling of arbitrage is like a really. Yeah. But it was like um, 20, 50 bucks a day for like three hours of my day. It was like minimum wage or something. On, like yeah. if you actually calculated it out, but um, which was ultimately why, like, and then I had a, I had my first kid in 2016 and that was oh right yeah yeah <laughs> uh, your time to do that kind of stuff goes away um but yeah. no it, it uh it had sort of opened me up to this whole world of kind of automated trading and everything and then in right. in early 2015 i got a job at the cftc that was my next gig oh, wow. um, okay. so i became a researcher there so um so i was working underneath uh, the chief economist there hmm. and um yeah we did market structure research so uh the cftc um that's you know the financial regulator and it was great just because basically they get every single order on mm -hmm. um at the cme or, or any of the commodities and futures trading stuff so mm -hmm. um it was just like an unlimited untapped data set um right that you had access to to do research on um yeah. you like you have to be, it was really hard to like actually publish anything out of there because mm. you couldn't like give away any thing, but you could, you could really just have at it with the data on your own. And it was a blast. Um, so that was, mm. I, I did it. I did, I published, I think two papers out of there. Um, Interesting. Okay. Uh, were, were the papers public or are they? Um, yeah, they're on the CFTC's website. So you oh, can okay. the ones yeah. on. What, 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 what was your, uh, what was the subject? Of both of them are in liquidity and uh, one was on like, categorizing types of futures traders another one was on like liquidity and selective futures markets so okay. i did like order book cool. analysis and like kind of looking at like rip, replenish rates for and 
Okay. This is interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to check out the papers and, and maybe post them in the show notes as well. Uh, because oh, cool. I, I think that, yeah, w w one thing that one subject area that I think uh, this podcast and the newsletter is about is just liquidity in general. Because I think it's, it's sure. an area that I think will be more and more important um, as there's more markets and as those markets are you know, increasingly both interconnected but also fragmented. Yeah, no, I mean, try and talk to the CFTC guys, even like reach out to some of the researchers, like they'll just mm. talk to you about them. Um, lots of really good research on automated trading in general, high frequency mm. trading. Um, cool. Cause yeah, I mean, we would, you know, like I was there where they would do like a lot of the flash crash analyses. Um, they were trying to formulate a bunch of rules around that. Um, and I mean, even some of the bigger things that shocked me when I was there, it's just like, you know, when you realize like, oh man, like there's like five people in each market. Yeah. like that control the vast majority of it um yeah yeah you know no, it's I, like I, I i know what you mean and, and actually I, I think that's actually i would say the, the underlying like really the motivation behind why we're trying to get hummingbot because yeah i think i've everything i've heard from my friends and you know in in that world in the traditional finance world is that you know there's a lot of these like kind of like esoteric markets that are actually really big but because they're like they require special tooling and because it's like you know it's kind of started as a big boy kind of game it never you know it never kind of like um it never kind of created space for smaller entrants into the market and now it's like even though you know ideally i think everyone wants there to be smaller entrants it's almost like yep there's too much inertia behind the current system to change it to actually create incentives for small small players to come in uh so i, I know actually the cftts and governments have tried lots of pilots over the years to encourage yeah. us and and i think you know, that's why in crypto, I, I always felt like, you know, at least like if we just start from a tooling perspective and created more open source, you know, tooling that people could use, it would just gradually democratize access to this market. Yeah, no, it was it's I, I completely agree. But it's, you know, it, it just shed a whole lot of light on like, what what is the finance sector even for? Like, it's supposedly this giant thing, but yeah. it's like five or six guys losing money to each other or making money off of each other. <laughs> And then you have like, you know, hmm. it was usually like only like a hundred or so retail traders on these things each day. Like it oh, wasn't, wow. okay. it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, like it's not yeah. absurd. And, and when you say, like are you that, saying, yeah. is this for like one single for like trading pair or, or just yeah. like one contract or is it for like one single venue or um, for like one contract or something, contract. which would be like, yeah. you know, it'd be, yeah, like under a hundred and it would right. be, it's not a lot of people out there and mm. And then you also realize, like, you know, the CFTC publishes those statistics, like 80% of futures traders lose money. Like, really? Wow. You're most likely going to lose money retail 80% of futures traders, you mean like, they read the retail folks? Trade the retail on. folks, yeah, yeah. The retail yeah. folks are all, you're going to lose money almost, guaranteed. Because yeah. um, you're just going to get eaten alive by the pros. And, um, you know, and it's really, I think we have a little bit of that problem in crypto at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, where now the pros came in, like I was doing it probably before the pros were there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now, like now, basically, you're, you're trading against a team of PhDs over in Chicago who does this for a living. Um, yeah. It, it's yeah, well, yeah. 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 I think that, yeah, I think in terms of like price prediction, definitely, you know, it's like it's kind of like the the directional strategies, in my opinion, are that those are the easiest ones for pros to come in and just, you know, Eat away because yep. their, their algorithms are their, you know the prediction model is just better than a lot of ours and so um like a lot of the, the that's why in my opinion a lot of the technical analysis type stuff worked back in the day but yep. they, they didn't once you know like people started using math 
instead of relying <laughs> on kind of pattern matching using, using right memes and yes yeah <laughs> you know yeah uh, but 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 I do think the one that does work in my opinion is kind of like more like what I call like arbitrage and market making in the long tail because what's happened sure. now is that there are all these new venues that have popped up on decentralized exchanges and or centralized exchanges trading all kinds of weird new products and you know because they're all VC backed they have an incentive to essentially reward the early participants you know and, and so it's kind of you can almost like set up these trades where you're you know basically like providing liquidity to one venue because it's new they're airdropping tokens on one side and then you're hedging that exposure with some other strategy on the other side where you know you're hedging that risk on dydx and maybe picking up tokens for learning liquidity there so it's kind of like you're you're, you're basically making money not from actual trading but more by kind of like providing transaction activity across the landscape to multiple startups who are have yeah. an incentive to pay you yeah, no, I, I joke about this all the time with, you know, like I, I people now are like using products because they think they're going to get an airdrop. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's absurd because like, yeah. you know, if they, if they were to come out and say like, we're going to give tokens to people to use our products, well, that's not yeah. allowed. That's a security. But instead, if we just sort yeah. of don't say anything and we'll airdrop them later, that's cool. And the SEC will wave their hands. Um, but no, I mean, I'm, I know you're familiar with it and yeah, yeah. but air, airdrops were good to me over the past few years too. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that that's really the role, but I agree that it's kind of like the, the transition. I think that this is why I, I teach a lot of like people in Hummingbot. It's, it's kind of like, these are trading tools, but yeah. you don't have to use them in just the traditional way of how traders used to use them before. Uh, because it's like most traders are just, they just want they just want to make money you know they're looking just ways to make money and it's more of like i think it's there's a combination of running trading strategies in the old way where you actually are fine-tuning algorithms and doing that kind of thing but you're also taking advantage of this new landscape where you know you can almost like kind of play like play the landscape if you will and, and yeah. maximize the amount of like you know rewards you're earning across the landscape which honestly that's also how quant hedge funds operate in the traditional world as well you know, when they arbitrage between, you know, NYC and BATS and NASDAQ and all the other places. So, so in some ways, it's kind of like, I, I, I think the way I, I, I frame it is more like, you can trade, you can trade in the traditional way where you only have access to like the broker API, or you can trade as like a, a more like as a participant in the whole system where you can right. be, uh, you know, like you can trade directionally, you can trade by providing liquidity, you can trade by arbitrage, and but because you can play every facet of the system, um, it, it just gives you more like more ways to make money. That's what I, I was thinking. In some way, you could like use Teller. So like we're working with some prediction market protocols. You could have like oh, yes. yeah. predictions yeah. on like what's the percentage of chance of an airdrop, and then you like go and position liquidity I, I, yeah, I, in I, a Hummingbot way. I, I, I do think yeah. there are ways to do that actually, because I, I do think ultimately Hummingbot, where well, unfortunately in the in the early days, it was mostly Coin Alpha who wrote all the code. But yep. because now it's we're trying to really turn it into a community-based project, we're really focusing on enabling people to build their own custom strategies. And I think there's a lot of like this kind of stuff where in in a, like a year it should be very easy to build like you know some some script with Hummingbot and a few lines of Python code that says you know go here and you know basically run this algorithm and when this happens go over there and, and pick up some you know some some tokens by providing liquidity. 
Uh, so it's right. kind of like that provide scripting. liquidity on rock and FTs. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and, and or, or like look look at the signal from Teller and, and do something over yep. here. So so in some ways, I, I think that um, yeah, it's, we we do want to stitch together everything in the market. But but we're actually getting ahead a bit, bit too ahead of ourselves. I think uh, you know they'll. Um, you know, we'll talk about that in a bit later, uh, possibly in the second half of this of this conversation. But I wanted to just wrap up our conversation first and talk about how you transition from you know working at the CFTC uh, yeah. to actually you know doing startups. Yeah. So when I was there, we had they started in 2015 the blockchain working group. Right. If you remember? Um, every agency had one at the time. It became now it's Lab CFTC, like for fintech startups and. I was kind of the only person that had really heard of Bitcoin at the time. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I trade it. <laughs> and so I jumped on there and it was, um, it was really good. Like you had all the, the big banks would come in. And uh, so if you remember, there was like R3 and uh, what was right. Blythe, Blythe Masters one. Digital and, asset. Digital asset. Yeah. All those like blockchain for derivatives yeah. type. Enterprise blockchain. Projects. Yeah, hyper hyperledger came a bunch, and they would present all of these der how derivatives were going to be settled on a blockchain, and um, right. it was you know for somebody like me who was like into the crypto space, and like I was starting to like in 2015, I had started to like follow Ethereum a lot, and um, probably in 2016, I started coding in Ethereum, and I was like, look, like you can you can do it in Ethereum, like you don't. Right. We don't need this setup of the consortium of banks guys like what are we doing and you know they would um they didn't quite get it um still they're like so, how do we make money then yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you know like well that's not how you know and you'd hear like that's not how the system works like they're not yeah, not yeah. thrown at all all away yeah. um but they do all 20... these people and these buildings and jobs i know like <laughs> like god we can't we can't do that um so yeah, we, uh, after listening to those presentations and kind of building out kind of my own, I, um, I left in 2017 to start a derivative startup. Um, so, you know, I like, mm. I didn't quite know what it was, but I was like, you can build actually decentralized derivatives. So mm. I left in, uh, yeah, August, I think 2017, uh, mm. to start my own, uh, luckily yeah. Ethereum was kind of on a run. So I had. Yeah. It had enough money set aside that I could uh, yeah. forego a little bit of salary and start hmm. my own thing. Interesting. So, so before that, um, I, I guess, uh, did you have any um, like? How did you get into startups? Did you like read any? No, that was it. There was any... interesting. Okay. No, yeah, like I had, I asked like my uncle who had, yeah. <laughs> he knew a guy. <laughs> cool. Like I, yeah, I had like a few calls. Um, okay. Okay. No, like I had no idea how to do a startup. Did, it was. Did you? Uh, uh, so, so this is part of what I was curious about because honestly, the same thing happened to me. And, and yeah. I, I, I literally, I, I was like, I, this is after I graduated from Stanford too. You know, I spent a year like, oh man, twiddling my thumbs, yes. like making business cards, and because I had no idea like what what I was supposed to be doing. But but I'm curious, like, how did you? Um, like, well, so like, yeah, I did. I got I got my business cards, and then luckily, so I I lined up. So there's an incubator here. Oh, cool. Uh, so I'm in Frederick, Maryland. We're like an hour north of DC. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people commute down to DC, but there's a startup incubator here. Um, we're big. So we have, if you know, Fort Detrick, that's like, it's the military's biochem lab. So there's lots of biotech startups actually around here. Hmm. Um, and so they, they do some of those. And I was like, I'll go join. <laughs> and they like, nobody has 
I still don't know if they know what I do. Um, (laughs) but it was, it was a good experience because like they set me up and, you know, like they, they would, they introduced me to a few VCs like local or angel investors in the area who like, Mm. you know, 2017, it was just looks of no way. Um, and so I failed at raising money, um, in 2017 for months. And then in 2018, I was like, almost ready to give up but then i i got an ethereum foundation grant um, oh wow so interesting i was part of the round one of the ef yeah. grants um that's awesome actually yeah uh, I, 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 was that was that this was in 2019 or 2018 this was like january 2018 2018 um, okay got it yeah and so then i i got a grant and i brought on um a, my now my, co- my co-founder now uh brenda she was Mm-hmm. She was actually, yep. she worked with me at the BLS. Um, mm-hmm. So I've Got been it. working with her for years. Got it. Um, and, and actually, do you remember what you, uh, the idea that you applied for with that initial grant? Yeah. So we were looking at doing derivatives, but I, I wanted to do, it was, it was very novel at the time and that I wanted to do derivatives on a side chain. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you would sort of lock the contracts on mainnet and do them over on a side chain. And then, okay. You could bridge them over and so they they gave me some research to do that and if, if you remember it was plasma was sort of all the mm-hmm. rage there so yep. um i did i wrote a paper on why it's not feasible <laughs> or okay. why it's not a good idea to use plasma to do this um okay. because of data yeah. availability uh, yeah kind of data availability yeah. and then even like just the security of the chain in general um mm-hmm. it's you're basically the more even like I'm not a huge fan of bridging assets in general. It's mm. it leads to a lot of security yeah. holes. Um, you know, you. Yeah, yeah, so. I, I, I agree actually, and I mean, especially after the wormhole hack, and I think this is yeah. actually one like one thing that even for, for our to- well, yeah, uh, for, for our token, uh, you know, yeah, we, 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 I, I, yeah, it, it, this also this is not for investment purposes. You know, anything we discuss is not you know, <laughs> sure everything else. But yeah, but one thing we're considering, you know, it's like our token is currently Ethereum. And you know we're considering bridging it over other chains, uh, but but I think that the number one thing there is security. And I think there's so many bridges now that people don't realize that bridges are basically you know um, a lot it's of tokens are locked in a smart contract with open APIs. Yep. And, and so uh, you know you have to be super super careful uh, whenever we have yeah. lots of tokens in a smart contract. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Like we prefer like like if if you wanted to go to Solana with value, just sell ETH on Ethereum yeah. and buy soul over on Solana and then you're only yeah. a native asset. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I, I think that in my opinion, like token insurers should be very careful about like basically where, yeah, where their, where their tokens are on secondary venues, secondary chains, basically, yeah. uh, because it's kind of like the way I think about it is like, there's, there's, a, there's like your primary chain where your assets are trading in. And then there's any other venue where your assets are on. So it could be yeah. another chain. It could be a centralized exchange, uh, but it could be some other place where people are trading it, but you're effectively giving your assets over to a, a near third party in order for them to hold for you. And so, yeah, like if you know, like we, we've talked about that, like if we, if you lock all of the teller tokens or half of them over on some, you know, crappy chain, yeah, then they could potentially steal all of your teller tokens. Yeah. And yeah. if they steal them all, now your governance is screwed. And yeah. they can vote through whatever they want in your DAO. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's like a yeah. giant risk. So yeah, and, and it's also not just you; it's also your 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 token holders as well. You know, because yeah, like they a lot of times there there's some like yeah chains of advertising. Hey, you know, port your token over to my chain, and you can earn like 
a thousand percent APY or something. Yeah, and then they just take your token. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it's almost like yeah, there's almost like kind of like this consumer scam kind of quality to yes. or avoiding because like on the other hand, some bridges are you know actually you know truly useful and, and so forth. So so anyway, the, this whole bridging problem that we should probably oh also save for a separate conversation. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's like a ten hour long talk <laughs> yeah. you can have for the bunch of people, yeah. but. Uh, Cool. So, so um, yeah, let's continue the story. And so, yeah. you got a, a grant from EF uh, to do this derivatives uh, research project. Uh, yeah, and then uh, what happened afterwards? Yeah, we uh, we did the research project, and we we sort of launched um, trying to get some users and derivatives. Um, this was in like mid to late 2018, and uh, nobody really wanted to use an on-chain derivative project at the time. Um, so. <laughs> It was it was really really rough because it was it was similar similar to like early DYDX like just with the yeah. long short tokens and you needed a mm. you need a pair mm. them on each side so you know we ha we had yet to figure out pooling of the funds and mm -hmm. using a yeah. token to incentivize it I think the token incentivization is huge yeah um, yeah for bootstrap and liquidity um, but yeah we we had sort of failed at doing that um, and but over the time like what we had. We had been doing this research into like the biggest problem, if you know, for derivatives is your Oracle. So if you're betting mm -hmm. on the price of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. who gets to say what the price of Bitcoin is? And mm -hmm. um, in 2017, 2018, even 2019, like there was nothing, um, yeah. you know, like it was you people were using, if you remember, Oracleize. Oracleize, um, yes. <laughs> this was it was like literally a guy running a server over in London. Um, so you, you would like yeah. you would say, like, can you go fetch this API? You would pay him a quarter worth yeah, of ETH yeah, yeah. And you put the value in your smart contract. Yes. And that was we, like what financial contracts were running on. Yeah, um, yeah, we, yeah, but we actually had $600,000. We were managing a $600,000 uh, hedge fund on the blockchain uh, that was fetching uh, essentially a portfolio NAV using Oracle Eyes every day. It's uh, crazy. But the thing was like, it was just massively complicated smart contract. You couldn't debug yep. it. And it was like, yeah, was, I'm sure it was, I, I didn't know it was one person. That's actually even scarier. Uh, it was like but, him and his uh, dad running a server over in London. <laughs> yes, it was crazy. Um, so we, well, we had an idea for like, you know, why don't we actually just create an Oracle network? And then we jumped into we had this idea for like, it was originally like a proof of work Oracle um, that like, you know, why don't we just get back to how, how do you how can you have an Oracle where anybody can participate? So that was like, if you actually want to decentralize, you have to have it to where anybody can be a validator and then anybody can sort of dispute the values. Um, yeah. Those were like the two things. And, and we came up with an idea. And yeah, so we, we were trying to create it while we were at Daxia. Um, hmm. And we, we had run out of money like several times along the way. Hmm. Uh, you know, like so in early 2018, we were kind of out of money before hmm. the Ethereum grants. And then in uh, late 2018, uh, um, we ran out of money. And then we got a consensus hmm. grant, which kept us hmm. going. And then, and, and, and was that uh, how big was the team uh, during those? During this was me and Brenda, and then another guy, uh, Mike, who uh, he says hi. Um, he was he was our another. Um, he was kind of the non-technical founder, I guess you could say, of Teller. Mm -hmm. And and then we ran out of money in early 2019, and but luckily we applied to um, another incubator. We applied to Binance Labs. Mm -hmm. um, and we got into Binance Labs in 2019, um, their eight week accelerator. And mm -hmm. um, that, gave, that gave you 250 grand. So that was like, you know, more money than we had Jeez. ever 
yeah. dreamed of. Um, yeah. So yeah. it was it was amazing. And then we're so we, we went out to Berlin and um, we launched launched Teller then hmm. uh, in August. So we built out the, the MVP and quickly <clears throat> launched it and we, we had a token. Uh, so we started, we didn't give any to ourselves. Um, we mm. just, we started at zero and we, we minted upwards and we got a 10% dev share. That was like our, the whole got model it, for it, the Teller got token. Got it. Um, in, 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 in a sense, like, so Binance Labs was like the, the, the key kind of like, you know, kind of like the, 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 the investor that kind of like gave you the capital to, to launch Teller then? Yeah, for saying? sure. And then, I mean, they said we were supposed to be able to raise money afterwards, but like, yeah. We pitched. To, I swear, like if you name a VC in San yeah. Francisco, like I pitched to them, and like really? we didn't yeah. any money. Well, um, when was that? When did? You, when were you doing the pitching? Uh, 2019, 2019. 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that was when. That was when. Yeah, that, that was when I was doing a lot of pitching for Hummingbot too, uh, without a lot of success as well. So yeah, it was like <laughs> like I think I think we got like I think we hit triple digits on the nose. It was. Oh, man. Um, yeah. like literally every, like we got really good at the nose. Um, were you, um, were you getting intros to all of them or was it kind of like, yeah, like, well, so, so we were a Binance. So Binance gave right, us a lot Binance. of intros. They were really okay. helpful. Um, yeah. and then like, it was just like, you know, usually back then, e even in 2019, it was, it was all about like, so we had a token and everyone wanted to right. know, okay, you're a token with a Binance connection. When's the ICO? Mm. What valuation can I expect to get in? And we're like, we're actually not doing a nice on Binance. That's kind of shady. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to try and do it in a more honest fashion. And they would just like look at us like, what are you talking about? Um, mm -hmm. Because they wanted to like get some insurance of, you know, kind of being able to sell the token at some higher valuation later on. Oh, uh, it was, I mean, it, it was like ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, every single VC you talk to, like we talked to tons yeah. of Asian ones and it would always just be like, what valuation can I get in at? What's the yeah. lockup period and yeah. what valuation can I expect? And, and what are your exchange partners? And they would literally just try and flip these tokens in three months, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And, 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 and so my read of that is I've been in the Valley for, you know, almost 12 years now. And, and I think yeah. my read of that is that before really 2020, um, there was no established like model for how tokens actually acquired value. So sure. like, like, through, through actually, through actually use, doing useful work. So, so it was kind of like before that um people like the only reason the vcs really invest in tokens was almost like it's a very short-term you know price appreciation gamble basically they didn't they weren't investing as vcs you know they were just kind of like yeah you know basically using the reputation to get in deals where they could basically make an, uh, a guaranteed profit almost uh and that was like the essentially the landscape prior to 2020. um and then i think what happened in 2020 was that you actually had tokens that actually proved that they were actually really valuable by themselves. Like, you know, Uniswap or, you know, um, like Axie and like, tokens. Uh, yeah, actually... you know. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. So, so the, the, there's, yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. So, yeah, we can get this later on, but I, I do think right. that the, the difference between finance, fundamental value and sure. you know, like market perception value, but ultimately that might be the same thing. Yeah, no, but it was, uh, we sort of failed. And then um, luckily, like we had the token and, and we got our first listing on an exchange. We, we got on IDEX because nice. we were friends with kind of Alex and yeah, yeah. the team there. And, and we got listed, um, it was like in, we got listed in October of 2019. Um, yeah. And we were. So, yeah. So, so, so actually, maybe, maybe, um, maybe yeah. before we kind of get into like the, the, the part, like maybe what, what was the, um, can you explain the value of the, like I said, the, the token sure. and kind of like how it plays uh, the role in the token in your 
Oracle. Yeah, so I'll just tell how it works now, and then sure. um, it, it, it worked very similar back then. But mm -hmm. so Teller's a network of data reporters. So um, Michael wants the price of Bitcoin. He would come on our network and he would tip, we call it, for the price of Bitcoin. So there's a mm -hmm. you would have a query ID, and he would say, "Hey, I'll pay one TRB. That's our token to anyone who gives me the price of Bitcoin." Mm -hmm. And then anyone is allowed to submit the price of Bitcoin. All they have to do is be a staked reporter. So they would stake in our contract uh, mm -hmm. on mainnet Ethereum. It's 100 TRB. They put that into, they lock it up, and now they're mm -hmm. allowed to report on the price of Bitcoin. So somebody would come in and say, hey, it's you know, 50,000, whatever it is right now. Um, and you can use it or you can dispute it. So anyone can actually dispute it. So they can say, hey, you know, if, if, for instance, I said, oh, the price is $10 million, you wouldn't want to use that. Somebody would probably instantly dispute that and say, hey, he lied. Um, then it would go to a vote as far as whether or not I lied. And the person that caught me would get my 100 got it, TRB. Got it. Got it. Um, and, and just one question there. So uh, does does it start with someone requesting um, a price? It doesn't or... have to. Um, okay. I mean, any, it's just, kind of... well, anybody can just, so basically, as long as you're staked, you can report data whether or not somebody paid for it or not. Right. Um, and, and as long as someone reported something, then someone else can challenge the, yep. the veracity of that. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and what is, um, I guess, you know, what is my incentive as a challenger to, uh, to do that? So you would get my stake. Stake. You're okay. right. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And, and usually it's the other, so almost, almost the, every single time it's, it's the other reporters. They all just compete and they dispute right. each other really fast. Hmm. Um, okay. But Got yeah. It. It. Uh, and, and it can be any type of data. So, you know, okay. it can be, you know, it's just a random byte string. So if you want the price of Bitcoin, if you want, you know, mm -hmm. information about a Bitcoin block hash, if you want, uh, you know, weather data, whatever, a string, anything, uh, you can okay. put on and dispute it. So it. Um, the token should hold value because basically if you have more people staking, it should go up and more people requesting um, should be this kind of utility token Okay. Thing that people hold. All right. And, um, and yes. And before we get into, uh, I, I want to get into later on kind of how it's doing now and kind of you know like sure. what, the, what the metrics are and everything else. But before we get there, um, uh, let's talk about kind of the early days. You know, when we first yeah. listed and in, in early days, um, was did you have the same model back then as you do now for the token? Yeah, roughly similar. I mean, the, the network we we were only like numeric data back then. Right. Right. There was, right. So but basically, it was... so it sounds like the. Uh, the the chicken egg problem to solve is kind of like getting a network of reporters and plus people who are verifying each other, uh, along yep. with the, um, a network of like consumers uh, for yep. for those data. And, and 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 when you first launched, like who do you think the um, the consumers would be for the data? So you're hoping, you know, we were building it originally for ourselves as a derivatives protocol. So we we thought, you know, right. a DeFi protocol who needs data okay. could use us. Right. Um, so yeah, that that was what we were hoping to kind of get off to, okay. Um, okay. and you know, since we similar to like um, like Bitcoin, so we we did the minting. So that's like we started at zero, and we still have that. So like we have a block reward. So every time, every mm -hmm. we call it a time based reward because basically mm -hmm. every time somebody submits, um, it emits right now. Every okay. every five minutes is half a TRB the inflation okay. rate. So okay. okay. Um, so, so that's, that's, like, that's like the block reward for participating in the system and, and yep. getting the, okay. Yeah, it keeps it live and then um, it grows the supply and okay. helps pay some reporters. Cool, cool. Um, 
So okay, yeah. So 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 um, kind of going back to the story. So you sent you listen to Index. Uh, you know, started this Oracle network. Uh, yeah. How, how did it early days go? And and, and what? Well, so like, pre yeah. How did, how did it go? Even pre Idex, like we had launched in August, so like two months, mm -hmm. and we were trying to get people to report it. Like I had just written like um, we had like a reporter written in Python that I wrote, and okay. um, you would tell people like, listen, like we were trying to charge like $3 per token. So it was, you know, trying to get people to pay us OTC. And it was, it was tough to get yeah. people to pay. Like my friends, I would like give them tokens, like just oh, wow. come okay. mine it, mine <laughs> okay. it with me. And, you know, people yeah. like you, you would give them tokens and then the network would stall a lot because, you know, back then even gas, like if you were submitting like every 10 minutes throughout the day, it would cost you like 20 bucks a day. Right, right. Yep. So even like people then, were yeah, like, because gas would be up and down and yeah. Yeah. So it would be 20 bucks all day. So you're submitting okay. all day and it would be like 20 yeah. bucks and they'd be like, man, like I'm running out of money. Like I can't do this for, <laughs> to get these tokens. And, you know, they would be getting, you know, hundreds of TRB, but it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Like, and, and were they, uh, were they able to sell the token on? No, they uh, weren't. No, like some people, there, there was like a slight OTC market, but it, they were mainly okay. just holding them. Okay. Um, and that because that's like whenever we listed an idex um right the token price quickly tanked like it just oh, all the reporters yeah. who've been stocking like just dumped just it so it, it, yeah. we went down to like two cents in november <laughs> it's oh, just yeah. um brutal um and you know like we, we had predicted that because like people were like there's no liquidity as far as buyers go and i was like guys like we're just gonna let it go like let it let it tank low and get these guys out of the system because like it's mm -hmm. You know we're not buying them you know it's yeah. not it's not yeah. a, we don't have the money so um so we let we let it go really low but then we had we had some sort of you know we were running out of money then anyway um mm. and then luckily something something came through i think we like got on a podcast or like mm. it was you know we, we had just um things were starting to look up and and the price rebounded from two cents and november nice. and it hit the high of like eight dollars in december in and 2019 uh, this 2019 yeah 19, yeah yeah and you know so it hit like eight and then like we're like oh man like we can pay our salaries right. off yeah. of tokens like this is amazing yeah. <laughs> you know of course it yeah. was like you know just like with the bare bones like the three of us right. um yeah essentially doing it but it, it was good um and i mean that was like we were only on idex and dexes until like the following August. So like for the whole okay. first year, it was just DEXs. And right. it was actually a really good community back then. Like, okay. not that it's not a really good community now, like, um, but we had a really good, strong base just because okay. anyone who wanted to get our token either mined it or like yeah. bought it on a DEX. And, you know, if you were buying right, on right. DEXs in 2019, it was- Yeah, you, you um, were early users, yeah. You were, these were early users. So, I mean, almost mm. all of our users were, all of our community was this, these early like, mm. People interested in reporting early dex users and it, it, mm. i think it helped us out for sure because you saw like you would go to other communities um you know they would be like a, an ico on binance for instance and just be mm -hmm. a completely different feel <laughs> like, right yeah yeah you know like the telegram chat of an ico on binance was just really really different even if their market cap was higher like yeah. we just yeah it, we had kind of that that gritty um yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I know what you mean because we also had a very similar kind of very niche, uh, but um, kind of like you know successful community early on at Hummingbot because it was just you know we were just a trading bot project, so we didn't have a token. Yeah, you know, we weren't on. You know, we were an ICO, yep. and so the only people who came to our Discord were people that just were interested in building open source trading bots. 
So, um, so I think even today, I think that ethos, I think, still carries through. And I think that's kind of, I would say, one reason why it's kind of like, I think the communities that started smaller and just built it up and have a more native culture that people, you know, want to join as opposed to ones that just like start with like, you know, like 20,000 people because they were imported over from some Telegram group. Yeah, for sure. No, it, it definitely worked out well for us. But um, that was, uh, yeah, those were the early days, I guess you could say. Nice. Lots of other and so did there. you have um do you have like derivatives protocols actually kind of using your uh, your oracles or like like uh, back then know? yeah back then uh, not really um you know probably back then like you would have a lot of one-off projects um mm. you know like we we still kind of face this problem today um it, it all comes down to like how much do you want to talk about the projects using your protocol mm. um because like what we found was so like our biggest competitor, you know, was Chainlink, they're the, the big Oracle and they, they sort of made a name because they would put out a partnership announcement with like anyone under the sun who like said yeah. that they might want to use Chainlink, like they had a partnership and it looked like they had thousands of users and we, we like looked and we're like, they, especially in like 2019, we're like, there's like not, there's not thousands of users on this whole ecosystem. But they had like, a lot of Lake Marines, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, but we're like, you know, like if, if there were, if there were 50 actual users, like we're like, there's, that would shock us. Yeah. Um, and, and there weren't, um, it was just partnership announcements. And we found that too, you know, people would come to us and like, Hey, can we do a partnership announcement with you? And we're like, no, like go, go write some code, man. Like let's, let's yeah. integrate. And, and then you had a bunch of, you know, um, ample fourth started then yep. now ample fourth is a user of teller but mm -hmm. um back then they weren't and but like ample fourth forks became users of teller okay yeah so like you didn't right. we, we we were like you know like th we, they could create a price feed on us and they could they could have a price feed for their own token and it was like oh man like do we want like we, yeah. you couldn't even tell people because you didn't want to point to the fact that a lot of these scams were you know running off of teller yeah. oracles and even still, you know, like, so like whether it, you know, whether it's a fork or some scammy project, it's like, uh, how much do we want to say even about it? Um, yeah. Yeah. But it was fun. <laughs> cool. So, so, so when did, I guess, things start to change, uh, I guess. Uh... Um, yeah. I mean, whether well, it's super different, um, you know, like I've noticed with like the price, the price of the token and the actual usage of the token are just completely separate. There, you know, like you could, we, we can have a phenomenal month where we get a user or two and, you know, like we'll, we'll, mm. we move to another chain and things are great and yeah, nobody cares. Price goes down and, um, right. and then you, you get like an exchange listing or some podcast tweeter, you know, likes yeah. you or you have an up, up month for ETH and then your token price goes up. So like talking about like actual usage, it's been really, really slow. Um, mm. You know, we've, we generally like we our two biggest users now are Ample Fourth and Liquidity. Um, okay. Liquidity is a stable coin. Um, mm. And then probably just recently we've gotten, um, things have really changed for us as far as just volume of requests to user Oracle once we went to Polygon, to be honest. Right. Um, the, uh, in later 2020, I mean, gas prices have choked off most of the innovation kind of on Ethereum. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I should let's talk about some more because um, so uh, cause I, I think I, I, you and I know about this. Yeah. But I want to make sure everyone in the audience kind of knows about this. But uh, because you know originally what you described was um, there's already seemed to be a problem in terms of reporting transaction costs even before yeah. gas prices really spiked. And then you know starting 2020 because 
you know, everyone got excited about, uh, you know, liquidity mining and yield yep. farming and all this other stuff, you know, gas costs just were crazy. So, um, yeah, so how, like, like, uh, I, I imagine that they must have prevented people from doing lots of reporting on, on yeah, which well, just becomes a slower Oracle, you know, like yeah. people don't realize, like, so if you have an Oracle, that means somebody has to write and put that information on chain. So yeah. for us, you know, that's like, right now, depending on gas prices on Ethereum, which are some like at peak times, it was between 50 and $100 to mm -hmm. write a transaction, one transaction, on, yeah. one transaction. So if you wanted one value on chain, yeah. it's gonna be 50 to $100. So like, if you want an Oracle that updates every hour, and it's $100, like, yeah, that's $2,400 a day to have an hourly update. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. and because it's more expensive to challenge as well, it's probably going to be result in less secure and, and more. Yeah, it's just, it's not a good system. It's not as good. And you know, we would we always have been pushing people like use slower oracles. Like, mm -hmm. don't you know? Because a lot of times people come and they're like, we have this derivatives protocol with a hundred x margin. We need we need an oracle <laughs> update every minute yeah. on chain. Like ten thousand TPS. Yeah. Yeah. And. You're like, you can't do an Oracle update every minute on chain, like not to mention finality issues, but yeah, we've told that to so many people and the, and right. you know, so like we tell people like try and build use cases that are, you know, fit what should be built on Ethereum and stuff. And yeah, yeah it, it's kind of an education thing. Cause if you assume like, you know, oh, once the Oracle, that, that's another sort of nuance of Teller where like Chainlink is different. So like Chainlink, there are no disputes. Like once Chainlink mm -hmm. says it's, this is the value, this is the value, you can use it. Whereas Teller, you know, we, we put the value on chain, you actually don't want to use it right away. You want to wait five minutes or check it to see right. if somebody disputes it. Um, mm. So like we, we tell people you, you sort of want to add that delay in even. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just been a big education game for us. Um, but yeah, gas prices were telling people like, oh, you have to pay for an Oracle feed. Like, you know, if you want, if you want this updated, you know, like luckily like, like liquidity it's every few hours that's it's a doable mm -hmm. use case ample forth it's just once a day mm -hmm. those are good use cases for oracles on chain um whereas th things that you really need updates fast it's just super hard so yeah yeah so so, so yeah I, I definitely agree with you on, on layer one eighth you know i think that that kind of like um slowness is almost necessary uh, to make it work yep. uh, but uh, as you mentioned you move over to polygon um how like um tell us about that experience like you know, what was it like moving your i guess kind of moving to polygon from a technical perspective and also getting users on Polygon? well from a technical perspective we sort of like redesigned teller so we um you know we made it just to be not as almost to where you could you could port it to different chains and, and the security would sort of still stand mm -hmm. um because because your security transcends the different chains or is it it does uh, not so it, it's per chain. chain um but you know you had like like the bigger differences like um you, you had to sort of make it a custom staking amount across the different chains so you know you you could have tellers like the way where you, you stake some value and then somebody reports yeah. and you can dispute it you could do that with matic token eth it doesn't have to be trb you just sort of were using right. trb to sort of give value to the network and um the problem though is like if, if things you know if you have a hundred trb stake on mainnet you can't possibly have a hundred trb stake over on matic because if mm. over there you could report once a minute that's okay right. um but you don't want people to have to stake 100 trb per report or else you're right. going to have right. some crazy amount of you know bridged over there which isn't going to be good and, um 
So we had to just adjust some things in, yeah. in that sense, make things a little bit Makes more sense. custom. Um, but it, it felt whenever we went over to Polygon, you know, now we're actually working, we're moving over to other chains as well. So we're mm -hmm. moving over to Harmony, Cosmos, mm -hmm. Algorand mm -hmm. even. Mm -hmm. um, Polygon in a lot of ways feels like kind of like early ETH where people are just like, you get the people who are just like building projects that aren't VC funded and yeah. um, that aren't yeah. like, you know, these giant things. It's just like, hey, like I'm in my spare time building this project and I need an Oracle and I want to launch it and see what happens. Like, and yeah. those are those are really fun ones to get. Um, yeah. And you get that like sort of just builder mentality about, hey, these are these are like real people trying out and building cool projects um and, and yeah. that's sort of the vibe we get over there which is which mm -hmm. we love um mm -hmm. you know that's kind of how we started out on ethereum and, and that's where mm -hmm. we think you know a lot of the because like on ethereum you know if you it costs you a few grand to launch a smart contract it's you got to be pretty serious in the space yeah. to, to do that so you know yeah. whereas over on matic you know if you wanted to just launch this little app you can do so and launch your token for you yeah. know 10 20 right. bucks and, and you're off and running so yeah. So, 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 so for users who you know might actually need an oracle. So, so we actually work with a lot of decentralized oh, derivatives cool. protocols and exchanges. You know, uh, who are you know trying to build their businesses using Hummingbot in some way. Uh, so, I imagine a lot of them are looking for oracles. Um, and so, um, how do you think about you know how Teller different changed from Chainlink and other providers in the market? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the bigger pieces is you know we've a we've been around. So we, we can differentiate ourselves from a few of the newer guys. The new one, yeah. um, but the biggest thing is, is just kind of that focus on decentralization where we've, we've been trying to do it right since the beginning. Um, hmm. You know, Chainlink, most of the other people, they, they have, whether it's a straight up whitelist or admin key hmm. in there. Um, it's, it's just not sort of the mentality that we, we go with. Um, so okay. I'd say, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's really comes down to just that, like you're not, it doesn't make sense. Like a lot of these Oracle schemes seem very like rude Goldbergish. Um, yeah, yeah. Underneath the hood, yeah. like it's super hard to figure out exactly how they work. And um, yeah, you know, we're not trying to be that. We're trying to just be some. It's a simple crypto economic protocol. If you put value on chain, and it can get disputed if it's wrong. Um, hmm. So. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and personally, I do think that uh, I think the multi-chain approach is going to be really interesting because what I see now is that uh, yeah, people are able to, able to start their you know businesses or their you know, create, entity creator empires or whatever it is on different chains, and these chains have you know different advantages and disadvantages, but ultimately they're kind of like all like competing to be technology ecosystems, if you will, and sure. so it's kind of like I think. There's room in the market for you know many kind of like internet ecosystems or blockchain ecosystems, and so if you kind of think about like coins from that perspective, rather than as currencies necessarily, that yeah you know, people have to like you know, every person in the world has to have to spend one currency or one or two currencies, then I think that mental paradigm you know allows for a lot more uh, of these potential winners out there. And so what I see now is that um, you know like a, we see new developers coming into our ecosystem and they're building DEXs on Polygon, they're building on Solana, Harmony, uh, you know, um, Cosmos. And it's kind of like this like Cambrian explosion of activity across different chains. Um, and I think, I think it's less like who's going to be the winner, but more of like, you know, like how do we get more folks, you know, building startups in this web three world as opposed to the web two world? Yeah. I mean, knowing, 
Like, I mean, I even remember like back in whenever you, or maybe you do too, like whenever you're looking at coins, like, like I came to it from a, like a libertarian perspective and you sort of care about decentralization, but knowing which chains are decentralized and which ones are actually being honest about their claims and stuff that, that takes so much time, you know? Yeah. People, yeah. People, people at first just want to build on something that they can, they can build on and that's easy. Yeah. They can get off the ground and run and see if this thing even has any legs. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that, that it's really something that we're trying to do is is just make it easy to build on a lot of different yeah. chains. And um, yeah, until we get to that multi-chain world where it is really easy to build on a lot of chains, there will kind of be these, I think, these one-off winners, um, yeah. flavors yeah. of the month type stuff. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the resonance from how, how we approach the world too, you know, um, when we first started, there were like a lot of like commercial, you know, kind of trading bots out there. Um, there's some open source ones, but a lot of them were like open source ones that, you know, kind of like try to uh, kind of like make money off the users, kind of, if you yep. will, um, instead of actually trying just trying to make money by being open source. And so I think we, you know, luckily managed to figure out a model that allows us to be sustainable bot without just like scamming our users, so to speak. Uh, but but it took a long time, long time to figure out. And we're still trying to figure out how to like manage it in a truly organized, decentralized way. Uh, so, but, but, but my, my kind of a like read of the market, um, is that I think that the more decentralized, the more like honest projects always went out at the end of the day, you know, because when I look at like, you know, Ethereum, uh, it's probably the, the best example, but even a lot of projects that have, I think, you know, you know, kind of like just really just focused on building instead of focusing on raising a lot of capital have actually, you know, done better than the ones that just raise a lot of like VC money and just, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they've done for the past few years, frankly. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, no. no, I mean, just getting, I mean, even like a startup mentality, like I, I tell my people, like, you know, now we're, we've slowly grown the team. So we're, we're like up to, there's uh, 12 of us on the team now. Wow. That's great. Um, so nice. yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a whole, you, whole you different thing. Yeah. You know, and it'd be sustained full time by this, this, this token, this token DAO. Or, yeah what, what do you call it like, what, what cool. do you call this entity you're, you're building we call it a dao um you know it's, it's definitely daoish now um and yeah it's uh eventually that's like i'm my one of my goals is over the year to fire myself and just yeah. take money directly from the dao versus uh teller inc but um that that's coming um no but but something like i i think a lot of times people in the crypto space treat it I, I always like to, since I've kind of done done it a lot, like just get it out the door a lot of times. Like, yeah. you know, you'll see a lot of these startups who like take two years to build and it's like, no, like just, you know, they'll raise VC money and then mm -hmm. take a year and a half to launch. And it's like, mm -hmm. what are you guys doing? Like, mm -hmm. just try, try and build it and get it out the door. You know, like mm -hmm. don't try and hype it and hopefully there's not like, make sure it's secure. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, like we've learned so much, like even just, what do your users actually want? You know, like trying to build with users for yeah. the past two years has been the best thing for us. Like, cause we, we wouldn't know like what type of data do they want? How do they want, you know, how, yeah. how do they want to put in their smart contracts? How can we talk to it and make it easier for them? Yeah. So that's something that we've definitely done differently. I think is just um, really just hashing it out and, you know, any, any sort of product we do, we just try and get into right. the hands of people who want to use it and see if they even like it. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and, and that to me is the, the first word product. You know, just get user yeah. feedback and on exactly what you wanted them to use. Uh, so, so I guess like, what have you learned? I guess about this Oracle problem over the past, you know, couple of years, and, and seeing the, the growth in the market. Like, like, who are I guess who are you users today? I guess. Uh, you know. 
I mean, the bigger thing, you know, now re recently, so within the past six months, we've we've switched from just numerical data to any type of data. Um, so like expanding that and sort of telling people about that, you know, so we've gotten some people trying to build like cross-chain AMMs and like bridging stuff you can do with oracles. Um, and those are definitely, I think that's kind of the next, you know, I, I would say like the cross-chain AMM space, you know, now I think it's like basically ThorChain. Um, mm -hmm. That'll yeah. probably be like the next really big one. Um, I see. Is that, but, is that for non-numerical data or for, for numerical? That's a non-numerical data. No, so, you know, you got to pass it, over like it. hashes of other chains and stuff. Interesting. Um, Actually, can you, um, can you help me with the, because I, I don't quite understand the use case there, like uh, for kind of passing hashes across different chains. Well, it would be like a Merkle tree of different things about what's locked in the, the contract and I see. Who, I see. who does got it go to? What okay, specific got, got address it. does it go to? So, so it's more like the, I, I see it's more like the, the, the that kind of data about, yep. this is more like the, the account trade. data, basically, or, or trade yes. data. Interesting. Um, okay. uh, and you could pass it over individually, chain. but yeah. Um, got it. Okay. And basically, because like, I guess the alternative is you have to use some protocol that's going to like, you know, check all the blocks and and do all this, you know, fraud verification. Uh, well, that, that is what an Oracle does, right? Right. That's true. Yeah. 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 Let's take it all off chain. Yeah. Um, okay. And that's like ThorChain has Oracle. I don't know if you're familiar with ThorChain too much. Uh, not not really, actually. Yeah. But yeah, so they're a good decentralized AMM, but they have, you know, they they have kind of a whitelisted group of node providers at the moment. And they're, and they're, they're, they're expanding it. They're a great project, too. Right. Um, but you know, until they can sort of get past that, um, yeah, it's really, really hard. Cause yeah. So you can have like, like, let's say you have Ethereum on Ethereum and you have Matic on Matic, mm -hmm. you can pool them on both sides right. and then have an AMM built out of it, um, yeah. and just pass yeah. it back and forth. And those kind of pools are going to be really important. I think right. that'll be the next big. I yeah, the, actually, yeah, the, the, the whole, yeah, the, the, this kind of, you know, goes back to our bridging conversation from earlier. Yep, because exactly. There's so many alternatives that are, you know, vying for, you know, how to get, basically get assets from one chain to another chain. Really. How to get so, value, yeah. Um, or value, whether, whether, you, whether you're moving assets or not, but it's getting value transferred from one chain to another chain. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I think it sounds like, sounds like actually, the sounds, sounds like basically like, uh, so you think the or your oracles can be a very important piece of helping, you know, whether sure. cross-chain DEXs or bridge protocols or, you know, basically affect its transfer. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing I think that we still haven't seen too much used is um, you don't really see too many synthetic assets, like mm. at least that are created really fast. Um, mm. You know, like I know some people trade some synthetic stocks, but yeah. you, you don't really see them traded as much as crypto assets. Mm. Um, and I don't know when we'll start seeing that. Um, but, you know, like... I, that's what we we're, we're starting to work with a, a protocol over on cosmos and, and they're doing commodities exchanges you know and like mm. we we were like hitting ourselves because right. we weren't up and running quite ready but it's like you know the whole nickel price explosion like how fast yeah. can you spit up a nickel contract and let people yeah. play well, around in it yeah um, yeah yeah that's true so yeah i i think those kind of assets are really right. gonna, kind right. of underrepresented still in the... I, I agree and, and the other thing is that i think a lot of people are trying to build all kinds of like um yeah new layer two exchanges you know so yep. any, any 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 perpetual exchange is going to need some type of index uh for for the for the for the you know for the funding rate to to, to look at every uh, every hour or so 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 I, I think that the more yeah basically anytime someone wants to do any type of derivative they're going to need oracle Yep. Um, and and so yeah, I think there should be. And I think right now, 
um, yeah, my perception is a lot of them are just using a chain link or a lot of them are just centralizing it and using like the, the coin gecko, you know, price fee or something. Yeah. I mean, same difference, but it's, um, you'll see that or, or another popular one recently is some people will try and do if they want, if they need on-chain assets, a lot of times they'll use like a Uniswap feed, um, which, right, right. you know, using a spot price on one exchange is always a bad idea for your settlement yeah. price. Um, yeah. but yeah, the, um, no, that's what we've always said for the longest time, like just beating down the narrative of a centralized Oracle is like our hardest right. job. Yeah. Like don't like demand that your projects have a decentralized Oracle and, and Teller will be just fine. Um, and right. I think, right. and I think they will eventually. So, yeah. So, 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 so just to reiterate, uh, are you, do you think that, I guess, do you think your users need to value decentralization in order to, to like, sure. pick, pick you guys over uh, like a more centralized, you know, alternative uh, so to speak yeah i mean it, it's easier like anytime you know you would use it um yeah. which is you know to be honest I'm, I'm excited for like more of the bear market if you will because it's you know if you're still building on it like to be honest like if you're building on ethereum or one of these networks in general you sort of value decentralization or else you could probably do it without building a startup on one of these networks so you probably value decentralization, like make sure that it's decentralized all the way across. And right, right. Um, that's just what we have to get across to people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 and I think part of the challenge is that when the data is just purely numerical, you know, it's kind of like you can, sure. it is possible to like, the alternative is like looking at Uniswap or something like that and, and kind of trusting the market to do its job and, you know, allowing the market to like, you know, like get the price in line with where it should be. Yep. So I, I think that's kind of like the, the, the theory, so to speak. Uh, but but I think where it breaks down is actually, in my opinion, I think the non-numerical data is actually more interesting in some ways uh, because yep. that's kind of stuff where it's like a binary, like, you know, is that true or not? I think that you can't kind of like automate using the market. Yeah, no, completely agree. But I, I think the other thing with Uniswap, you know, to say probably the biggest problem with Uniswap oracles is kind of like I was talking about in normal futures markets. It's that there's probably yeah. five guys that control it. Right, um, right you know who are your liquidity providers and you know i i don't know if that's something we necessarily talk about yeah yeah and i think that and it's where like the, the use case comes in yeah because yep. it's kind of like i think that makes sense if you're like let's say running a decentralized exchange and you want to use an oracle that you want everyone in the market to trust and so you want to have a more decentralized oracle mm -hmm. um but 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 i think to me it's more like the majority of your users should it should almost be like any users that just needs like yep. a, a an oracle right and they can they can run some type of on-chain process using that reliable trusted thing and so that's where it's like i think currently because it's like it's easier to use a centralized oracle for that person that you know yep. that person you kind of like uh, yeah in my opinion i think the the average user it'll be hard to convince the average user to like hey you know like you need to worry about decentralization therefore you need to do extra work you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but but I think uh, I think for the protocols, it, it, like anything, if you're creating something in public, then it makes sense yeah. that you should use the public. Yeah, and, and I mean it's always tough because like a lot of times these protocols, you know, they'll launch with admin keys, and um, yeah. you know, yeah. the team owns ninety five percent of the token anyway. So like yeah. telling them to care about their oracle is like, guys, yeah, we, yeah. we have yeah, other exactly. issues. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and, so and, I, think, and I, think, I think that is a hard part actually. It's kind of like it's, and, and that's where I, I think that. That's right. I, I like your strategy of exploring the um, the, the non-numerical data because it's almost like that's opening up new use cases 
that yeah. allows, let's say someone to actually make money and, or do something that's they couldn't do otherwise before. Yeah, yeah no, it, it still comes down to a lot of the decentralization pieces and it's something yeah. we're going to be harping on for yeah, hopefully yeah. years but, to come. But, but, but I think, I think to me, that's why I think, you know, projects like yours make sense to do by a token, you know, because it's almost like here is both you guys and Hummingbug were almost like a non like nonprofits you know, in some ways. Yep. That were trying to you know use a token to make make sure, and the token the role of the token is first and foremost to make this project sustainable, you know, uh, and and you know, or and, and and like because there is some this model out there where if people do X with a token, then Y happens and there's some flywheel effect. You know, occurs with with, with the model, yep. and, and so so to me, it's like I kind of going back to what you said before about you pitch a hundred VCs and and they were you know they didn't understand it. I think that's where it's kind of like because VCs are uh, their incentive is to take a lot of like you know pension fund money and invest it into like ten startups every year, you know, right. and because of that, they, they really can't they aren't designed to take a lot of risk in new things um and so so even though vcs are they are the you know, supposedly the early stage startup investor of choice you know in silicon valley and by extension the world um just because of their mandates because of you know how they're incentivized they can't take a lot of risk on really new things and so to me i think um you know the ability for like you know for you guys and, and us to kind of like have this token out there and the token is actually kind of trading and it's able to to sustain like the long tail of projects is honestly that that to me is like the innovation of crypto. Yeah, no, completely agree. Like I, I think, yeah, I'm all for lots of community type currencies and these, these sort of, yeah. Um, just the idea of printing money to kickstart an economy is it's just insane. Um, and then it just use how we sort of use it to align incentives even going forward when it comes to our marketing or when it comes mm -hmm. to paying for security. Um, it's like the most powerful tool that's completely unexamined in the real world. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think I think one 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 issue is that right now I think um, the market only has a very like you know um, like a very like like a very like a beginner mentality uh, when it comes to, like the models for tokens out there. Uh, yeah. You know, right now there's like this Bitcoin, which is really just like, you know, just a yeah. price, really. <laughs> just a price. And it doesn't do anything. It's just, you know, the it's price just reflects supply versus yeah. demand. That's it. Uh, and then I think for the layer one protocols, people have started to appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a unit of a kind of a medium exchange using this protocol. The more, you know, startups, the more transaction volume that happens in this ecosystem, the more valuable this thing happens. So, so hopefully that over time. Ethereum, Solana, and you know, Binance Smart Chain, the other layer of protocols start trading on that basis. You know, for the DeFi protocols, I think we've kind of gotten to a point where they're kind of trading based on TVL or total value locked. Uh, but for everything else in the market, it's kind of like finger in the air. Yeah. No, I mean TVL is even a finger in the air thing. Um, you know, it's a completely gameable metric too. True. And, true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but 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 I think in some ways, like I guess because I'm a student of finance, I feel like the history of finance is all about finding some metric, you know, and then after a while, everyone can game it, yeah. <laughs> and then finding like new. I mean, TVL in my mind is completely useless now. I, I think it was well, useful well, why, back why, in the day. Why, why but... do you think it's useless? I guess. Uh... Um, I, th I think a lot of protocols game it. Um, I do. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Do they, um, do they get all their VC friends to uh, put the token. Very in? very much so. 
Um, yeah. No, I mean, even, even like you go back to Uniswap and like, you know, how airdrop, how that airdrop was handled. I mean, you saw the volume on Uniswap pump before the airdrop. Right. Who was that? Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody knows who it was. It was the VC round that they raised right before there. That's who you would guess. Um, and, and so you, you see a lot of similar things happening. Um, I mean, like synthetics is like a great example. What they, I think at one point they had like $700 million worth of SNX locked in their system. And it was like, then they had 15 users a month. Um, and it was like, what on earth is going on guys? Like, is, is it actually a metric? No, like, but it, you know, they, they would push out that metric or, you know, like Chainlink would even say like, we have, you know, X number of dollars secured in Oracle. Like what, what, what on earth does that mean? Um, yeah. yeah. And you look and it's like, well, and then you would ask them like, well, is anybody even paying for it? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. so like, is it a business? Is it just dollars secured? Like, what is it? Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, finding the real metrics are super hard, especially whenever these things like you know, if you have like a really gritty team that's going to stick it out and build a project and pivot if things go bad, like the token might be phenomenally valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so it is much more about you know, what what is the ecosystem you can build around this thing versus right. even, right. you know, like a TVL, like, like a TVL on Uniswap could be gone tomorrow. Right. Um, if there's no mm -hmm. community actually backing it, does it, does it matter? Probably not. Like, and yeah. I would say in, in that sense, like, Maybe a sushi swap has a stronger community than a Uniswap just because they right. seem grittier and might stick around for the memes. I don't know. Yeah, well, um, if, if unless it, unfortunately, I think they kind of blew up recently because of some kind of you know thing. Yeah, well, yeah, they had a bunch of internal drama, but I don't know. Does that make them stronger? Does it? Well, they could, it could have come back actually. Yeah, but right. well, yeah. So, but to, to me, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Actually, it's 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 like to me, I think it's more like community. It's kind of like, can yep. you create an organic, real growing community or not and you know, maybe raising vc helps you maybe it hurts you um yep. so you know it's more just like but it's like more i think about the founder the founder of the team and like you know do they actually have the you know kind of like are they actually going to find something that works and run with it yeah i mean like how and then the biggest thing is like how can you get actual people to care about your product yeah, yeah. like it's yeah. you know not just use it to make some money quick yeah. quickly but like to care about your product. And, and that's like, those are, those are the hard people to find. And they're like the gems in the space. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I totally hear you. Um, so, so before we end, I, I, I know that, um, I want to, I know you spent some time, you know, with, uh, both at the CFTC and other regulators. And, and I, I know you're also involved in some other regulatory stuff right now. Um, do you want to, sure. do you want to talk about that and kind of like, you know, kind of like why you're doing it and what that's trying to do? Which is educating the regulators in general. Yeah. Educating um, the regulators. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's super important because I, I think, you know, when I was there, you realized like, A, how much they actually know. And, and sometimes it can be, sometimes they do know enough code to realize like whenever you're BSing them. Um, but especially the higher up people don't know a whole lot at all. Um, and when you look at how rules get made, um, it's a lot about sound bites and a lot about just, um, you know, making sure that they, that they get it out the door with a, without a whole lot of thought on the matter. Um, so just educating, educating them to make sure that they make the right choices is is super important. You know, like we, I, I actually just gave a talk on this uh, last week. So last Tuesday there was a, I did a um, 
it, it's up on our YouTube, but we can mm -hmm. try and find it. But it was on mm -hmm. uh, prediction markets and oracles cool. and some of the regulatory issues around there. Because um, mm -hmm. if you saw, there was like the poly market case where they mm -hmm. yep. settled with a prediction market recently. Um, and there's just so much up in the air. Like you do, they, it's like impossible to regulate it at the, at this moment because, um, you yeah, know, they said like, like an applause. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, you know, like poly market was, this, let's say, let's say you're betting on, let's say you have yeah. a decentralized prediction market and it's betting on the price of, or the price of Apple stock. So they, you know, they poly market ran the website. That was their first mistake. And that was in there. And, Okay, so we know you can't run front ends like that's that's out. Um, mm -hmm. But then they pointed in the in the action was they were talking about their resolution procedure, which they knocked them for being centralized, meaning they use a centralized oracle for resolving the right. the price. Yeah. Um, and so the question then comes in is like, okay, so if that's bad, you can't be your own oracle. Um, well, what if you give it to another centralized party? Like right. Michael Fang, is that okay? Right. Does he have to register? Who has to register? <laughs> we yeah. don't know. Uh, okay, not Michael Fang. Chainlink, mm -hmm. Chainlink Inc. whitelists everyone. Is that are they reliable? Are they you know who who gets sued if there's a contract error? And then you know does Teller have to register? Who has to register? And and there those were, I think a lot of those things. That, that's sort of how the market plays out. Is like this is illegal if it was centralized. Mm -hmm. You can't use a front end, but then if you're decentralized enough that it's going to be a headache for us to charge you, we're going to not charge you. But, mm. um, you know, so just trying to make, get some sense made out of the rules, um, mm. is, is one of those things and getting them to think about the right things. Like, to be honest, I'd rather just, um, I think it's, it's important, like not to rush it either. Like yeah. the regulations, like I know a lot of times people want rules written yeah. really quickly, but like, you know, we can be honest, like we've, despite the clarity in any of the rules, like they haven't cracked down on us here in the US. Yeah. We're really, really lucky. And um, mm -hmm. I think just making sure that they understand, like there's a whole, whole lot of nuance to this. So yeah. mm -hmm. move slowly and, and just, you know, because like if you could imagine like what sort of law they would have enacted in 2013, the first, like 2013 was like the first Bitcoin meeting at the CFTC. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, what sort of rule would they have made in 2013? Like, and it probably wouldn't be good for Ethereum or any of the other ones now, but yeah. Um, so I, I like to just tell them like, move slow, yeah. think about it. Um, you know, go after fraud. There's a lot, there's plenty of fraud to go after, but yeah. Leave, yeah. leave well, people alone. Yeah, no, I actually think it's really important to have like people like you who actually work there, you know, who have some credibility because you, you know the people there who are kind of giving in and, and basically, you know, saying, hey, I, I, I now run a startup in the crypto space yeah. and this is what we do. And it's not, not, not every startup in crypto is a scam. Yeah, no, it, it definitely helps them, I think, just knowing like, and, th and that's why, like, yeah, I tell people, like, just go meet. So you, you can, like, go on their website and you can schedule a 45 minute call with Lab CFTC now. Um, oh, you can. Or okay. Yeah, like you can just. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's interesting because my lawyers have always said, don't do that because you're, like, sure. you know, somehow giving away or you're, 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 you're using even information that you might, you know, regret later on or something. No, I mean, they. That's the other thing I realized. So, like, the CFTC, like, the A. 
they don't talk to each other. So like right. lab CFTC, you, you can get some information, but oh, like interesting. The, right. the guys, right. the guys over enforcement and the researchers who might be yeah, on the call yeah. or something yeah. like that. Like the only time we talked was like, which is natural. It's, it's a huge company, so to speak. It's like, no, know. exactly. Yeah. Like they, you, you would actually like, sometimes like you'd be in a meeting and you're like, Hey, you worked on this too. Yeah. Like I had no idea you knew anything about this. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely, you don't have to worry about that. And no, the, the yeah. agencies are, the thing I tell them is like, and, and you see it in the space. Like that's why the big protocols are always the ones hiring lawyers. Like, I mean, the CFTC find like probably the top biggest banks more money than the entire market cap of crypto last year. Like mm. you guys don't have, like, they're not worried about your, you know, couple million dollar protocol, yeah. like as nearly as much as you think they are. Um, yeah, yeah. It's yeah just... and actually, I, I think in some ways the law firms have almost have an incentive to like kind of like you know try yes. to always be the intermediary between uh, what the founders are to do and what the regulators want to do. And so it's kind of like, yeah, I think that that's why my advice to startups is always like, you know, like you know, take advice from your lawyers, but ultimately recognize that you're the one that makes the decision. And so um, if it sounds fishy or you know, if it sounds weird, hey, yeah. maybe, maybe you should just do this. What, what, you know, make sure you ask questions and. Uh, you know, ask, make sure you tell your lawyers, explain why instead of just following their advice. Yeah, no, and I remember like I, for a while, like before, I think it was like in, uh, before I left the CFTC in early 2017, I walked around with like, I drew out a picture of a CDP, so for MakerDAO, and I, I was I was literally walking around with like a Word document picture of a CDP that I drew out, and I was like walking to the different lawyers, and I was like, what is this? Um, you know, what product is this? And like, every lawyer had a different answer at the CFTC. Like we were just trying to like, it looks like, I think we settled on, it looks kind of like a swap. It would probably be nice. regulated as a swap as, as I would explain it. But it was like, nobody knows. Like you could ask <laughs> two guys at the agency yeah. and, and they'll come up with different answers because the rules are just that opaque. So yeah, um, yeah ultimately the, the rules are designed for yeah, a system that's no longer fixed anymore. You know, it's changing. And so yep. it's just, like you can't just look at the past and be like, we're going to use precedent to figure out what's going to, how we're going to do this in the future. Yeah. So it was, a <laughs> definitely go talk to the regulators. They're not scary. They're, they're nice guys. So yeah. I think it's a great So, um, yeah. So, so uh, as we uh, wrap up, um, you know, what's, what's the, what does the future hold for Teller? You know, what, what are you guys focused on in order to you know, grow into the, you know, the foremost decentralized Oracle in crypto? Sure. Um, the biggest thing I, I think kind of like we were saying, we're, we're moving into a multi-chain future. You got to, we have to definitely be, be on every chain and you got to be able to spin up new chains quickly. Um, we're sort of becoming this like more protocol, like in a lot of ways, you know, we're moving, we're, we're trying to move less beyond like we have to help you set up a teller feed or anything like that. It's just, this is how, when data comes on chain, it's, it's from, a staked reporter on the Teller network, and that's just how it works. Um, and that that's kind of where we're looking and where we're trying to put a lot of our focus. It's just how yeah. can we we sort of try and remove as much of the feel about us being anything to do with like a front end or anything. It's just this is how right. this is how stuff integrates. Um, so that's really what the future holds. So we'll be on every chain uh, eventually. Um, mm -hmm. Make sure that we have. Um, and then just continue to make sure it works as it should. Um, yeah. Do you have Do you have like like Do you need more reporters or do you need more like you know, users? Users are the hardest piece. I mean, users. It's probably similar to like um, 
Yeah, probably similar to finance. Like, you, yeah. if somebody's willing to pay for it, people right. spin up reporters. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. It's super. You know, like we have we have lots of people trying to report, and it's um, okay. it gets cutthroat pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So, and, and what you're paying for is the, the basically you're paying like a per for the stream. Is that right? Kind of like to actually, can I get the Oracle? Yeah. So you can either have it like one, you can either, it, sometimes they're one off events. Most of the times it's like, Hey, I want a price feed updated every hour and tip the guy. And um, so yeah, finding those integrations in the smart contracts is um, that's the part that we're really looking for. Um, so hopefully we can find them. Okay. So if any, you know, any uh, DEXs, you know, in our ecosystem yep. want to talk to these guys, I think that these guys have a great option for, for Oracles. Oh, thanks for saying that. So. Um, so finally, uh, I'm going to end with a question that I, you know, try to ask every every guest on the show. Uh, you know, what are the three favorite tokens are? Uh, you know, this is not for um, investment advice. So I, I try to basically get people to come up with tokens that are not like ones that you actually buy, but just ones that are th they think are interesting or doing something. Oh, okay. Like, so you know, um, I can't random and not, not like basically. Yeah, this is. Uh, I'm trying to do this. It's, it's not about finding like good coins to invest in, but more like. Hey, what's a cool project, or you know, like some some type of like um, give us some, some yeah, hidden chance. something that we'd actually like, want to want to check out, and you know, for because it's different. Yeah, I, I, I should have told you beforehand so you could prepare, but sure. <laughs> I'll try to do that going forward. No, I mean obviously I'm a huge fan of TRB. That's um, <laughs> well, it can't be your own, so yeah, yeah, um, the other one. No, so um, so I've I've recently been getting into um, I like the Cosmos system. I think that's cool. Um, there's another one that's just launching Evmos. I think EVM chains over on Cosmos are going to be huge. Um, is that is that uh, basically like um, uh, the EVM layer built on top of Cosmos? Yeah. So that, that's the right. If you wanted to go to Cosmos yeah. before last week, you had to rewrite all of your smart contracts. Yeah. And so people who make it easier to not have to rewrite all of your smart contracts and you can go right. over to Cosmos, it's going to be really cool. Um, nice. And are you thinking of using uh, that to port your stuff over to Cosmos? Yeah, that's what we're doing to port ours over. Nice. We're working with them. Um, Evmos. So, cool. That's a great project. Yeah. yeah that's a great one. Give, giving you guys some, some alpha there. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they seem good. Um, other projects, who else are we uh, sort of working with at the time? Um, I don't know. Um, other cool ones that I've seen. I mean, I'm, I'm still a big fan. I, I always like Yearn. <laughs> right. Those guys are doing super cool things over with just just on their DAO side. So we've been chatting with them on how we can DAOify ourselves more. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're just really. Uh, I also like them a lot too because because I think that they're the most I would say organized DAO that I've seen so far. Yeah. You know, and I think we can all learn a lot from them in terms of just you know actually creating true decentralization in terms of getting people to do stuff together. Yeah. No, I I definitely think that that's. Um, that's one I really like. Um, and then, yeah, um, another third one. Um, I don't know, a big privacy coin fan. So always mm -hmm. like, um, got to give a shout out to the old ones. Zcash and Monero, that's where I like to sit yeah. most of the time. Um, yeah. I think I think a lot of those ones will be what gets ported over and, and used on bridges. Like once, okay. once yeah. that, that's kind of my prediction is, you know, once you get these cross-chain AMMs kickstarted, yeah. The thing most yeah. people are going to do is rather than just go from right, right. you know ethereum mm -hmm. over to cosmos you're going to go through a monero layer or go through a zcash mm -hmm. layer and then 
Yeah. And then you'll be good to go. I'm curious. I don't actually follow that space that often. Do people, are, is there still a lot of usage of, of those, like those privacy coins and basically, you know, as a bridge uh, currently? Not necessarily. Um, you know, most people like, well, because it's still really hard in a decentralized mm -hmm. way to get over to them. Um, yeah. That's always the, the tough part. You know, it's like right now, it seems like the big privacy piece, like, a, oh, that's another point, like Tornado Cash. Yeah. Um, yeah. Love those guys. You know, like that seems to be like how people are moving. How doing today? Yeah, laundering money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, but I mean, those those are the big things. Like you see, like that's yeah. that's what we need to that's... build more of. Um, so yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You know, it's, it's like we got to build stuff that people can actually use. You know, and, uh, and some of the applications might be you know a bit specious, uh, but that's that's how technology works. So or, no, or I mean, like I I always point it to it's like free speech. You know, like you don't. If for some reason you always seem to be protecting the free speech of the neo-Nazi guy, <laughs> like it's, it's not the person you agree with. It's yeah. you gotta you gotta help yeah. out those people who are doing shady things. And yeah, uh, I think yeah. that's what we gotta do here in the space, even if it's rough. I agree. So. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much, uh, Nick. This is an incredible second conversation. Um, I'll, I'll try yeah. to edit it a bit and uh, yeah, try to improve the way we sound hopefully and and but all kind of awesome. stuff but but ultimately I'll, I'll probably just yeah upload it to, to you know the various channels and uh, maybe one final question um uh, if people wanted to get in contact with you or find you um how should they do so on social media uh, or wherever yeah so it's just teller.io it's a website there's discord um links there you can find or i'm on twitter uh the mandalore nine um I mean, awesome if you look at if you, you look at Tyler, just ask anyone. Like, yeah. hey, is Nick here? Um, and they'll be like, yeah, I'm here. He is. <laughs> no, I'll, so. I'll link to your uh, stuff on on the show notes as well. Cool. So, well, thanks, thanks, Nick. Uh, hope to talk to you next time. Bye. All right, see you.